you grow up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Mayor McCheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movies and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. AI. We're told that it's in virtually everything that we own. From our cell phones to our smartwatches, light bulbs, and televisions. And we're also often told that this should be very concerning to us. But what exactly is AI? I'm Leo Allen. And in this series from Voluntary Input, I speak with the experts, innovators, and thought leaders in AI about this very thing. Specifically, what exactly is AI? Who's building it? Who's in control of it? And most importantly, is it all truly evil? Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit VoluntaryInput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on tonight. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, Leo. I am doing well. How are you? I'm good. We've got a break in our summer. I don't know how it's been where you are, but I know pretty much the majority of the world has been on fire, but we've cooled off a lot here, so it's been great. I'm so glad. Where are you located? In uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I'm glad the weather is easier to manage right now. Hopefully it's beautiful. <laughs> and you're in Toronto? Toronto, Ontario in Canada. Awesome. Awesome. I have family up that way. Mississauga. Beautiful. Not too far from here, actually. It's a great <laughs> spot. <laughs> That's how I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, again, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. But before we dive into what I wanted to talk about, I would like if you could just give everyone a little bit of background about yourself, because when looking into you, you know, reading things that you've done, you have a pretty fascinating background, <laughs> especially education wise. But I'll let you go ahead and explain that if you could, please. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I um, definitely took a non-conventional approach to education and kind of finding my passion in the world. I started out actually as a special student in university and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And after a, a little bit of self-exploration and kind of navigating life of working three jobs while trying to go to school, I ended up in cognitive science. So I'm not sure if you've heard of the field before. Some, a little okay. bit, but if you could. Amazing, yeah, for sure. It's 
essentially a multidisciplinary domain where you take five disciplines and put them together into one degree program. So you're studying philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, computer science, and linguistics all together because essentially the fundamental idea is that you cannot understand the human mind without coming at it from multiple domains and disciplines. You know, there's multiple levels. It's a complex organ looking at the brain, so we need to look at it from multiple angles. So I studied cognitive science in my first degree. I specialized in neuroscience. I went on to do my master's in the same, and that's where I kind of really hit the ground running with artificial intelligence and design. So I wrote my master's thesis on designing an artificial intelligence with emotional capabilities, looking at the role of emotions in decision-making and expertise. You know, we like to think of it as a logical, scientific, mathematical approach, but really so much of us as human beings is governed by our feelings. So looking at that, how do we manage interruptions? How do we manage task performance in the real world versus, you know, the confines of an experimental environment? So that's kind of where I started out. I joined industry where I continued doing much of the same, designing products that look at human emotions in advertising, in commercials, in different environments. So when you're writing an article online, what are the feelings you put into that article? But also, what are the feelings that are potentially elicited by your audience? What kind of words create what kind of reaction? And how does this vary across different audiences or people? So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the type of things that I've been up to for the last eight years. <laughs> but real quick, what got you so interested in it all? <laughs> um, I like to say I'm a philosophy nerd. <laughs> right. I'm also a really big gamer. Mm, okay. So to me, the dynamics of an NPC character and using that as almost like a parallel when looking at different types of artificial intelligence, you know, is it an NPC? Are we building an agent here? Is it going to have its own autonomy and decision making? Kind of looking at stuff like that, I always find it very inspiring. So I also like thinking about thoughts. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now, the one piece that kind of fascinated me too, in your bio, it says, and you did all this without a high school diploma. You are correct. How yes. does that work? You know, that would confuse a lot of people, myself included. Like, how do you, how does that work? You know, <laughs> it's funny to hear you say that. I am living proof that it doesn't matter what type of home life you come from. You are able to find a way to pursue your dreams, you know? I come from a non-conventional home where it was not conventionally stable. It was not conventionally financially stable as well. So there was a lot going on there. And when I was around 16, 17, my home life came to a point where I needed to leave high school in order to survive. You know, I, I ended up without that security of a home and a lot of the times, and I've been told this by a bunch of people who have helped me along the way, this, this can kind of lead people to a place where you decide, you know, am I going to be a victim of my life or am I going to sit with this and say, this is really hard and I'm going to find a way through it. Awesome. So I kind of picked myself up. I actually moved country <laughs> at the time and around 18 years old, I found myself moving back to Canada where I worked really hard for about a year. I did everything I could to apply for government funding. And I started in something called a special student program at the CIE, so the Center for Initiatives in Education. 
it's essentially this idea that life happens. You know, sometimes you're not able to get the best grades in high school. Why should that dictate the rest of your life or your decisions? And there's also this this brilliant side of the program as well that does indigenous programs where it's in Canada, there's a large population of indigenous people who don't necessarily have access to the same resources or the same opportunities that people would coming from different types of backgrounds. And so the Center for Initiatives and in Education also provides an opportunity to prove yourself and say, okay, here, take these university level courses. And I did. I ended up with ACE, I believe, in both classes. And because of this, they were like, hey, let's admit you to a degree program. And not only did I finish with honors, but I went on to do my master's as well. So never had to go back and do that that high school diploma. <laughs> um, that is absolutely amazing, though, truthfully. I'm <laughs> when I when I read that and reading all of your accomplishments, I'm I was just blown away. I'm like, wow. Thank so you. that's why I immediately reached out. I'm like, I have to have her on the show. (laughs) I think there's something empowering about knowing that you cannot fail. Right. And whether this be because the dream is just such a burning fire inside of you, or in my case, literally, I thought to myself, I'm going to be working these jobs in, in coffee shops and in restaurants. And not that they're bad jobs. They're great jobs. And a lot of people flourish at them. But to me, I always imagined myself doing more. And I thought, if I don't succeed here... I literally will be doing this for the rest of my life. And is that what I want for myself? You know, so it kind of pushed me. (laughs) Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think so. It's important to celebrate those, those journeys, I think, because so oftentimes a lot of people look and say, you know, oh, I I come from this home or I come from this family. And so I'm just not going to have that kind of life. And, you know, screw that. How's that yeah, kind of you, life, you know? <laughs> you become a product of what you believe. And like you said, exactly. you believe I'm more than that. So I'm going to 100%. keep it. Right, exactly. But yeah. one of the most amazing things that I keep seeing when reading up on you is these studies about cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give everyone a running definition? What is cognition, first of all? Oh, beautiful question. Cognition is thought. So thinking about the way that we think. Essentially, when we talk about cognition in the types of contexts that you'll find with my work, so why do we make certain decisions, how are thought structures made, we're talking about, in essence, how much does the thought weigh? Where does it come from? How does it influence us? How does the external environment influence the types of thoughts that are generated? And even so, inside your mind at any given moment, you have so many thoughts going on that you're not even aware of because there's actually some mathematical equations that depict which one of those thoughts becomes conscious to you or becomes the thought that's selected. So there's a whole bunch going on underneath that that hood there, living just above the neurobiological level and just below that kind of rational thought level. And there's all these tiny gears and mechanisms that, that create cognition. So this also, oftentimes, you'll find this word found in a similar environment as consciousness. We don't have a definition for it. It is a highly debatable uh, (laughs) term. But that being said, it's an incredibly fascinating area of study. So what does it mean to be you? What does it mean to think? What does it mean to be alive? All those types of questions. And... Which brings us to the next big piece and the biggest reason why I wanted to have you on because 
when we start talking about cognitive AI. Um, first of all, when we start talking about AI, especially nowadays, I feel there's a lot of negative reaction to it. I tend to blame things that are just put out in the media uncontrollably. And I think when you put the words cognitive and AI together, that kind of creeps people out a little bit because now <laughs> you're talking about, you know, considering your definition of cognition, you throw AI in there. Now, before I go on with that, can you give everyone your definition of AI? What is artificial intelligence? Oh, great. Um, artificial is anything that is human made and intelligence is anything that has the knowledge and ability to perform a task. So when you're talking about artificial intelligence, you're talking about something that is capable, has the means and the knowledge necessary to complete a specific task and has been made by a human. And then throw cognition in there. So we get to cognitive yeah. AI. And if people remember your definition from just a bit ago for cognition mm -hmm. and then put it together with AI, what do you think something like that looks like? <laughs> uh, so first of all, I'd like to address what you mentioned earlier, which is you're absolutely right in saying I feel that I agree with you. Many people have a negative bias when it comes towards accepting information about artificial intelligence, especially cognitive AI. Now, we'll, we'll get to me throwing emotions into the mix because that makes people super uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, cognitive AI is artificial intelligence that is designed and influenced by what we know about humans. So this means we use something called cognitive architectures. They're like blueprints of the mind or the way that things fit together as kind of the, the groundwork for the types of systems that we make. So when you make a cognitive artificial intelligence system, you're making a system that either predicts human behavior or it describes human behavior. And those are the two main guiding principles of what we do. So there's there's these kinds of rules that come with it. So Cooper and Fox actually wrote a brilliant paper on cognitive modeling and it depicts that it needs to have completeness. So it must be as complete as possible to the type of thing that you're actually modeling. So if you're modeling decision-making in a bar environment as a main bartender, for example, you know, what does that completeness of the brain structure need to be to perform that task? And then you have faithfulness. So whatever abstractions you create from that human brain, so what we know in research, from brain scans, so on and so forth, into that computational then depiction has to be as faithful to those physical principles and to those chemical principles as possible to say it is successfully emulating that type of human behavior. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. To, well, it does to me. And hopefully people listening and watching it will to them too. And if you don't get it, just rewind. <laughs> listen <a couple laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> just listen a couple of times because I think it makes perfect sense. But I think the part that kind of freaks people out the most is they always think about the emulation piece. Like uh -huh. it's going to start emulating so much that it will slowly overcome us because people start to feel that it's better than us. Uh, because I think one of the parts about AI that tends to scare people, especially cognitive AI, is we tend to hold on to what makes us human, we feel, is our ability to feel. And you started talking about emotions and your research with emotions and AI. Um, 
what would you say to people that that kind of scares them? Um, what, how could you calm them down and say, look, this is how this really works? <laughs> I think that's a, a two-part answer, and it's a really important one. So I'm going to start with a question, actually, for you, Leo. What do you call a human being that is void of emotion? We tend to call them, typically, in my opinion, that's where we start seeing people who start going down the road of um you know, they become psychopaths and serial killers because they lack empathy and emotion and caring for others, basically. Exactly so. And when you think about this principle, and now you're thinking about these cognitive agents who have um, incredible abilities and they're good at problem solving, and then if you think of them being void of emotion, that's almost scarier than thinking about an AI that has empathy or compassion or awe, you know, these, these incredible pieces of what we feel are emotions that drive us to make decisions to, to help others when we can and when we feel we ought to. You know, having emotions in artificial intelligence is something that is potentially saving us from those, those potential issues that many people fear, to be completely honest with you. And the second part is there are many hard questions in artificial intelligence that have yet to be breached. You know, there is real-time dynamicism, interruption management in fluid environments. There is emulating the human system as a whole, as opposed to just parts that are required for certain tasks. And on top of that, you know, there's always a human that's driving that system or that's creating the, the outcome. And so quite honestly, as someone who's been, been studying this for so long and working in the field for so long, I would say don't fear the system, fear the people that create them because it's it's the intention behind it. You know, there's many who do this because it's innovation, because there's so much good that can come from it. But it's the not so great people that that want to create it for the less good intentions. Right. Those are really that's I think where the fear belongs. So it's not everywhere, but there's there's some cases where it, it might be valid. <laughs> but that's true in everything, right? I think so. There's always someone who's willing to, you know, warp things and twist things for their own gain. Yes, unfortunately so. Hello, people. My name is Andres, and this is the Latin Jukebox, because music is a lovely universal language. My name is Andres, and in my podcast, we go through music through new songs in Spanish and in English, and we go through different topics about all the things that music has in common. So follow me at Rocola del Rolo in Twitter at LatinJukebox underscore on Instagram, and follow me, I would be really glad to meet you. Gracias, parceros. Check it out. Welcome to the Middle Age Gaming Podcast, the number one show on the internet for people like yourselves. We play games slowly so you don't have to. Join us every week, Wednesday morning Taiwanese time at 9am live on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook. That will be 9pm Tuesday evenings for those on the East Coast of America. Don't let your schedule get you down. Keep up your passion for gaming and see you online. And when it comes to like the media and and the messaging, who do you think should be the ones that, you know, like I said, it, it always feels like we get these negative reports or people make up rumors. 
but it often feels like no one is countering them with, you know, truthful, factful information that's kind of in the public realm so everyone can understand, oh, yeah, this is how this really works. In your opinion, who do you think should be in charge of that? Who should be saying, you know, I hear what you're saying, but here is the truth. I 100% think that's an important thing that's not well enough addressed. Quite honestly, I believe that there is a responsibility by large companies and corporate tech giants to say the truth, but they benefit too much from this mysterious illusion of complexity and from the misunderstanding of what is artificial intelligence and the difference between like AI and computer science. Too many people make too much money off of the misunderstandings to clear that up. Uh, that being said, we do what we can to create knowledge. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if I mentioned to this to you before, but I'm writing a book myself where I'm exploring digital life and engaging with technology. I think if we have the means to do something, we ought to do something, but it's going to be an uphill battle to find that representation from the people we need to hear it from. I also think it might be good to have some government inter, you know, uh, interjection. Is that the word I'm looking for? You know, right. having some sort of ethics board might be beneficial. But that being said, there's so much money in tech; it's very difficult to make those types of meaningful changes in a systemic way. And I think, yeah, I have to agree with you, especially when it comes to the money, because when once people start benefiting off of something, and I think that's why the media tends to run away with the negative stories before any other stories is because, yeah, there's profit involved. You're right. Unfortunately, I wish you weren't, but you're absolutely right. It, it generates this mystique, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, they're getting all scary and dangerous. It's like, you know, the Terminator or the seeds coming and it's like, well, we're from what I understand anyways, unless there's something going on that I really haven't heard about underground, you know, um, we're not quite there yet, quite but it, there yet. you know, people profit from that illusion. Not even close to being there. Now, when you start talking about things like uh, emotions with AI, I can't help but think of, I don't know if you're much of a Trekkie fan, but I think of Data. Do you remember Data from Star Trek? <laughs> because He's that was, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much his lifelong quest. And it was, it's interesting that you mentioned, you have to think about the person behind it because ultimately what he found was, I don't know if you remember this and I'm going to go on a nerd journey for those who do remember when he connected with his brother and he found out who created him and there was a chip built for emotions but even that chip itself was built based on what his quote-unquote father created so like you said the people behind it behind the technology behind the ai you should be more concerned about what they're doing than the technology itself 100 percent. that's a great example i love that so much and to kind of uh, build on that that nerd ism there which i adore uh, one of my favorite characters is actually from a P.K. Dick novel uh, turned into a movie. So Blade Runner, you remember mm. the android Rachel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I named one of my agents after her because I love this premise so much. And it was that there, there are stories built into the narrative of the self that help influence emotional decision making or the elicitation of emotions from experience. And it's that kind of innate personal journey that helps create that kind of trajectory of what we will feel or what we could feel and those building blocks for learning, you know, learning new emotions, learning new reactions. 
that yes perfect example and yes another classic such a good one <laughs> so that all being said you know we've kind of talked through some of the negative stuff let's start talking about some of the positive stuff considering all that you all that you know all that you've learned all that you've built and written about what are some positive outcomes that you think that people should understand the work that you're doing this is what we're working towards here are some positive outcomes what are some of those there are so many new opportunities to create supplementary tools for human beings so we're seeing people brought together in a way that has never existed previously in human existence you know technology is something beautiful in a lot of ways, even though it, it does have its negative sides and it does have the gray areas in between. There's there's so much connection. Artificial intelligence as a field isn't always, you know, the, the agent that talks back to you or the daydreams popping up on your screen from unscripted codes, you know. Right. It's, sometimes it's, you know, a tool that helps connect you with a service or it's, you know, behind that search engine that you're looking for. And as much as there are echo chambers, there is also new information you've yet to come across. You know, there's there's that yin and yang in, in artificial intelligence. Personally, some of the research I'm most excited about seeing is the advancements in looking at how cognitive modeling can be used to further CBT therapies, different types of practices in mental health treatment and things like that. You know, we can use cognitive modeling as a method to look inside black boxes. You just, you can't see from an fMRI or an EEG scan. So if we can get better at replicating human thought processes using computers, we can get so much better at seeing at those in-between layers that we don't have the otherwise amazing technology to see. There's so much hope there. There's so much that we can gain from this. And I, I have to agree with you 100% because, again, I always feel that part of people's fear and misunderstanding is they can't, they can't tangibly understand, well, how, you know, because humans, we always go, well, how does this benefit me? You know, what's in it for me? Oh, you're just going to build this machine to do stuff, but what's in it for me? And I think part of the problem with AI especially is that for the most part, People can't really see what's beneficial for them. And then add to that, nowadays we start seeing all these, this marketing for everything has the tag AI on it now. So oh, like yeah. <laughs> AI copywriter, AI video camera, you know, everything's AI, AI. But a lot of it I don't think is AI. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think there's more important work being done that's actually more beneficial to humans because I live by an old, old law of technology. I don't know if people say it much anymore, but I remember it used to be said that technology should only enhance human life and never replace it. So I think a lot of times we're missing that enhancement piece, except for in consumer goods. And that's all people are seeing AI in consumer goods. And I think that's actually kind of starting to lead to a disservice as well. Do you think it is as well? Honestly, I think that's a really great point, Leo, and it's it's very insightful. I appreciate that because there's so much that doesn't want to show you what's not profitable. And unfortunately, we do come back to the money discussion because why would they talk about something that's not being paid for or profiting someone else? And I think in a lot of ways, people do look for themselves in, 
AI is a buzzword. It's a hot, hot feature. And I think that, you know, it is important to look beyond that. And it is important to see that, oh my goodness, there's a whole field of innovation beyond that. That being said, it is challenging to find the funding sometimes to do experimental research and experimental design. But there are still people who will continue to do it regardless, you know, to create those innovations. So how do we get around that though? How do we get to the point where we're funding the good stuff as opposed to, hey, here's the flashbang marketing stuff that you can make $100 real quick. You know what I mean? Because I understand why it's happening. You know, I get the marketing piece because people want to make money. But yeah, like you pointed out, there's more important research because there's more important applications. How do we change that? You know? Honestly, I don't know. I think that's a really great question. And I'm looking at some of my brilliant friends and colleagues in academia who are struggling right now to get funding grants unless they can see feasible applications to different forms of platforms. So honestly, I, I wish I had the answer, but I do not. All I know is that the passion is still there. The research questions are still there. And there are people who are currently looking at finding ways to create those innovations and those AIs. The dream is not dead. <laughs> so. Hopefully, my, <laughs> hopefully my approach here by you know, at least presenting in my little corner of the world on this podcast on voluntary input, just getting it out there that, hey, people are looking for this funding for important research. Maybe that helps. <laughs> it absolutely does. I love the idea of creating the space to talk about what AI actually is, as opposed to the misconceptions you're led to believe on, you know, popular media sites or in the news and stuff. You've done a really great thing by making it approachable. So thank you for creating a platform. My pleasure. And and part of it too was, I always hear it all the time and I'm like, this can't be, you know, this isn't all there is to this. There has to be more. So, yeah. so I wanted to reach out to people like you to get more insight because I'm learning along the way myself. You know, I want to make sure people understand I am not an AI expert. I'm fascinated by it all. I'm deeply intrigued by it, but I like to talk to the people like yourself who are more intelligent about it so I can learn and understand what is it really about? And then I hope to present it to everyone else listening. This is what this stuff is really about. Well, I can tell you that I told you I named one of my agents, Rachel, after that specific character. The first time that she had a thought or a sequence or did something I did not code her to do, but gave her the tools to do herself was one of the most rewarding and beautiful experiences of my career. There's a lot of really cool stuff that can happen and I'm excited to see what people come up with. I, I hope that we're looking beyond just the creation of tools and, and applications. You know, it's it's unfortunate that there's there's two specific ways of building AI. AI, sorry. Uh, one of them is supplementary and one of them is replacement features, right? So if you're building supplementary AI, you're building something to work with a human. You're working, or you're building something that is going to augment performance or augment a task and make it better in a lot of ways. Actually, it's funny, it, um, have you heard of mixed initiative yet? Have you come across that term in your research? Mm, I don't think so. Can you explain? Of course, uh, mixed initiative systems, they fell out of vogue in the 80s and 90s and were kind of replaced with a more in, in fashion modern term of explainable AI, which is the more hot way of talking about it now. But mixed initiative systems work with a human. 
they're AI that are specifically designed to partner with that person and, and make a task better or make it more uh, well completed in that way. And it's really, really beautiful to see these types of things made as opposed to just like the, oh, it's coming for our jobs or it's going to replace us all. It's like, well, a lot of it is made to be like your, your buddy, your partner in crime. You know? Right. Well, that's good to hear because like I said, again, everyone always worries about the Terminator, you know, and I, <laughs> that's, true. that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I, you know, never say never, no. but I, I highly doubt that. Highly doubt it. Yeah. And also if the seed did exist, I'll say it again, it probably wouldn't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> So, so on that note, <laughs> where are some places that people can find you and connect with you and see some of your work? You mentioned a book. How can people get a hold of you to, um, to learn more about you and the work that you do? Oh, people can find me on my website where I'll be posting information as I move along in the process. And I'm going to be creating a wait list with some prizes and stuff like that, too, for when it finally hits the shelves and becomes a real thing in your hands. So that's very exciting. You can reach out to me anytime. There's lots of ways to access me listed there. Well, Kate, thank you so much. This was very insightful. Um, and thank hopefully, you for me. <laughs> hopefully we talked more people down off of the ledge. AI isn't after you. It's not coming after you more than anything. It can be helpful. And like I said, uh, I feel that when, when you, we start talking about emotions and, and AI, that I think that freaks people out a little bit. But I think okay. they, they really need to understand what that really entails. So hopefully we cleared that up for them a little bit. I hope so. And at the end of the day, remembering that it's necessary for empathy, it's necessary for compassion, and it helps make human-like decisions that are informed by those emotions you really want to see in your fellow human and in the systems that emulate them. So fingers crossed, Leo. Thank you so much for making this space for this conversation and for having me today. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. You as well. Welcome back anytime when, you know, if you want to come back and talk about the book, just reach back out and we'll have you back on. I would love that. It's all about managing a hybrid life between physical reality and your life inside the computer. So I feel like I'd love to talk to you about that. Oh, definitely. I would love to hear it because I think we all could learn from that. <laughs> you and me both, friend. That's why I'm writing this. <laughs> but I've been studying it for so long. I figured, why not put it together? There's, there's some things that should not be kept inside the walls of academia. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. The evening's getting longer or later. As usual, if you want to get a hold of me, just go to voluntaryinput.com, select contact if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas. Better yet, select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like you. Thank you once again for coming on, Kate. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Leo. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye.
Do you sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on? What if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks? Well, let me tell you about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like. From sports to science to Bitcoin, it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription. So again, If you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription.